Hello and welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This is the last week of our series of the story of David and we find King David on his deathbed. What are his last words? Let's listen. We're in the very last week of our series on King David. We've been studying his story for the past seven weeks and now he's an old man. Uh, So old that he's on his deathbed, and he's giving his final parting advice to his son Solomon. Solomon, who's going to be the next king in his place. So thinking of this story, it kind of got me thinking of famous last words. I found some that I thought were really interesting, and so I'm going to read to you some famous last words. And what I want you to do is determine what values these last words promote. So here's one from Bob Marley. Uh, He was said to have said, money can't buy life. Well, that seems to be a bit of how he lived, doesn't it? Or here's one from Caesar Augustus, who was the first Roman emperor. He said, I found Rome of clay and I leave it to you of marble. That's a little bit self-serving, don't you think? But if you know anything about Augustus, probably was true to him. Uh, Here's Karl Marx. He said, last words are for fools who haven't said enough. Ah, He's going out grumpy. All right, I like it. Or Leonardo da Vinci. And this one was surprising to me. He said, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. How interesting is that? His last words were probably regret mixed with a little perfectionism. Or here's one of my personal favorites. This is Thomas Edison. And this is after he woke up from a coma and he turns to his wife and says, it's very beautiful out there. And those were his last words. I really like that. So, So we've spent all this time with David, and now King David is near the end of his life, and he wants to pass on some advice to his successor, Solomon. And as Solomon's at his father's bedside and knows that he's about to die, these are the words that David chooses to say. In these last words, you'll find out what David values as well. Okay, so here's how it begins. We're now in 1 Kings Chapter 2, verse 1, it says, As the time of King David's death approached, he gave this charge to his son, Solomon. I am going where everyone on earth must someday go. Take courage and be strong. So notice right away that David accepts that he is dying. Uh, He tells Solomon, I'm going to go where everybody on earth has to go. He's come to a place of acceptance that he cannot live forever, that he too will die, just like all of those who came before him and all who will go after him. And then he tells Solomon, but even in my death, be strong, take courage. As I read this, I would have expected Solomon to be the one to say these words to David. I mean, David's the one who's dying. Isn't David the one who needs to be reminded to be strong, to take courage? But it appears that at the end of his life, David is in a place of peace 
David's accepted his fate that everyone must face, and his focus now turns to the well-being of his son. His son, who's about to take charge of the kingdom, who's about to be king with all of the rights and responsibilities that that entails. Take courage, he says. Be strong. Now, it's kind of like saying, don't be afraid after I'm gone. You are capable of leading in my place. David then encourages Solomon to hold fast to his faith as the source of his courage and strength. Here's his next words. David says, observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all his ways. Keep the decrees, commands, regulations, and laws written in the law of Moses so that you will be successful in all you do and wherever you go. Yes, in David's last words to his son, his son who will be the next king, David wants to make it clear what Solomon's success will be based upon. His success will be dependent on his ability to follow God. Follow God so that you will be successful wherever you go and in whatever you do. Now, I read this and I kind of wondered, all right, based off of last week and what we learned last week, is this kind of a situation of do as I say, but not as I do? I mean, we've been with David a long time now. And, and, and at his best, David lived by these words. At his best, he was such a faithful person who went to God in every situation. But we also realize that David made mistakes, horrendous mistakes at times. He is not perfect, and I think he knows that. But as he looks to the next generation, he is hoping that Solomon can succeed where he failed. Uh, David continues in this vein. He says, If you do this, then the Lord will keep the promise he made to me. He told me, If your descendants live as they should and follow me faithfully with all their heart and soul, one of them will always sit on the throne of Israel. Okay, so if these were David's final, final words, how beautiful would that be? Uh, David saying to his son, be strong, take courage, follow God faithfully throughout your whole life, and you will be able to be a good, successful king. That, that would have been perfect. And really, that's advice that all of us who are watching today, who are reading these words, can seek to follow as we try to live as disciples of God. But unfortunately, David doesn't stop here. Nope. David has a, oh, and one more thing type of advice that really exposes just how human he was. So if you remember from last week, uh, that person Joab, Joab was the commander of David's army. And since that story, David got into a bit of a dispute with Joab because he killed some of David's men in a conflict. And it becomes clear in these next words that David has never quite forgiven Joab. So David continues talking. He says, and there is something else 
You know what Joab, son of Zeruah, did to me when he murdered my two army commanders, Abner, son of Ner, and Amasa, son of Jether? He pretended that it was an act of war, but it was done in a time of peace, staining his belt and sandals with innocent blood. Do with him what you think best, but don't let him grow old and go to his grave in peace. It's like, whoa, David, come on now. I mean, literally from his deathbed, David cannot let go of these petty disputes that have happened earlier in his life. I mean, this should have been a moment where he is simply looking ahead, looking at this eternity that he gets to spend with God, and instead, he's looking behind him. He's looking at his past and the things that he wishes were different. Yes, David can't help but look to the past and the things that that he still is holding on to, the grudges that he just can't let go of. This is who David was at the end of his life, a deeply flawed and deeply faithful man. Yes, King David, much like all of us, is a mixture of faithfulness and failure. Now, David has a few more scores to settle. These are the final words. He says, Be kind to the sons of Barzillia of Gilead. Make them permanent guests at your table, for they took care of me when I fled from your brother Absalom. And remember Shimea, son of Gera, the man from Bahurim in Benjamin? He cursed me with a terrible curse as I was fleeing to Mahanam. When he came down to meet me at the Jordan River, I swore by the Lord that I would not kill him. But that oath does not make him innocent. You are a wise man, and you will know how to arrange a bloody death for him. And that's it. That's, that's David's final words. The next verse says, Then David died and was buried with his ancestors in the city of David. So what do we do with David? Such a flawed but also faithful individual. I think one helpful thing we can do is really track David's faith because I think it changed from the days of his youth to the days of of his adulthood, particularly later in his life. I mean, think back to the stories a month ago that we were reading and studying when David was just a kid. He had so much confidence in God that around the age of 12, he fought a giant. He fought Goliath. Uh, David trusted God so much that he hid in caves and waited until God said he was going to be the next king. In his early years, he was an absolute example of someone who had complete confidence in God. But things started to change, didn't they, later on in his life? I mean, he never lost his faithfulness, but it did seem like it became somewhat corrupted. Uh, Later in his life, he committed adultery. He committed murder to hide the adultery. He is actively encouraging revenge from his deathbed. It appears that over time, the world had a way of weighing down upon David. I wonder, why did that happen? 
I mean, it appears that as he got older, David started to rely on himself and his power more than really relying on God like he did in his younger years. And the result is that David became more cynical to the world around him. So I think based on this story and based on the totality of David's life, the question that emerges for us is how to hold on to hope and confidence in God in the midst of a world that is often going to be weighing down on us. Uh, Because none of us want to get to the point that David got to while on his deathbed still bitterly clinging to the grievances uh, over things that he can no longer change. I mean, there's enough in this world that can push us towards cynicism and distrust. But what can we do, no matter what age we are, to stay focused on the hope that is present in God? That's really what this story makes me wonder. And so to, to get to that point, I want to start with a question for us to think of. Are there things in your life that you have a hard time letting go of? You saw in David's life that there were past grudges, past grievances that he was still clinging to. He says, Joab once betrayed me, and it still gnaws at me. So take care of him, Solomon. Or remember Shimea, he once cursed me, and I swore I wouldn't do anything to him, but but you can, Solomon. Go take care of that for me. I mean, David is passing on his resentments from one generation to the next. So perhaps we can identify things in our lives that, that still make us bitter when we think about them. Things that we have never quite let go of. Things that we're still holding on to too tightly. I think of the image of, of clenched fist right? Holding on to that pain and anger and and then having that cause tension throughout your whole body. Go ahead and and try it a second. Clench your fists and, and see how that feels. Your whole body tenses up when you're really clenching, doesn't it? And it's not healthy to hold on like this to the pain and the anger in our lives. Now, go ahead and open your palm. Release that tension it feels a lot better, doesn't it? And I wonder if that's how God wants us to walk through life, not with clenched fists holding on to things that make us mad, but with these open palms to say, okay, God, I understand that there's power in granting forgiveness. I I understand there's power from unclenching the fists in our hearts. Let me show you an example of this. It is a beautiful example of Corey Ten Boom. Uh, maybe you've read her book, The Hiding Place, but she was in a concentration camp in Nazi Germany, and she survived even when so many of her friends and family did not. And after the war, she went to speak uh, all over the world about how her faith was able to sustain her even in those darkest moments. And she writes in her book that in 1947, She was in Munich, and she was speaking at a church about the power of God's forgiveness. And she says she recognized a man in in the back of the church as one of the guards who was at her concentration camp. And, And she delivered her speech, and after her message, the man came up to her, 
approached her and said, thank you for your fine message. How wonderful it is to know that our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And Corey writes that. She said, well, yeah, I had said that in my message. I'd spoken so, so easily of God's forgiveness. But here was a man that she despised and condemned with every fiber of her being, and she couldn't take his hand. I mean, he was offering to shake her hand, and, and she was saying, I couldn't take it. I could not extend forgiveness to this Nazi oppressor. She realized in that moment that he didn't remember her, even though she knew exactly who he was. Now, I want to read to you in her own words what came next. She said to the man, or no, sorry, the man said to her, you mentioned Ravensbrook. He said, his hand still extended. I was a guard there. I'm ashamed to admit it, but it's true. But since then, I've come to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. It has been hard for me to forgive myself for all the cruel things I did, but I know that God has forgiven me. And please, if you would, I would like to hear from your lips, too, that God has forgiven me. And Corey said, I stood there. I, whose sins had again and again been forgiven and could not forgive. It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do for I had to do it. I knew that. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still, I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder and raced down my arm, and sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood into my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. And for a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. You see, when we trust in God's power to forgive, perhaps the best image is that open palm or that shaking hand. And so the question returns to us, what do we need to let go of? Is there someone in our life that we need to forgive? Because we want to experience much more what Corey Tim Boom experienced, with in that act of forgiveness, never having experienced God's love so intensely. That's what we want. We don't want to be the image of David on his deathbed, still passing on his resentments and grudges to the next generation. Now, I do want to note that in this story, it's someone who wanted to be forgiven. And I know there's people in your life who you need to forgive, and they're not asking for it. Uh, they may be oblivious to it, or maybe they don't think they wronged you, and that can be so hard. That can be so hard to still, in your heart, 
be able to say, God, I'm giving this to you. God, I need your help to forgive this person so I can unclench my heart and move forward. That's the goal. That's who we want to be today based off of this story. And so at the end of David's life, David was a flawed man. He couldn't let go of all his bitterness, but at his best moments, he pointed us to God, didn't he? And I think throughout this series, we saw that most clearly in the Psalms that he wrote. So therefore, I want to end this series with one verse from a particular Psalm that should give you encouragement as you journey through this life, uh, seeking to open the hands of your heart so that you can rely solely on God and not a world that can so often weigh you down. So so take this verse as, as your charge, leaving here, leaving this series, and going out into the world. When David said in Psalm 27, the one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. Yes, let's end this series meditating on David when he was at his best. Can we too say with confidence that the one thing that we ask of God, the one thing that we seek most is to live in the house of the Lord forever. And we too are a mixture of flawed and faithful, aren't we? Because even in our current state, we can cultivate, though, this inner desire uh, to want the things of God more than anything else. So at his best, David was an example of this, truly pursuing God with all of his heart. Let us also seek to pursue God faithfully as our greatest desire. Amen. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.